this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. And speaking of the union, Jay, we are joined by a union member, one of our hardworking union members, here to share with us a record that they have picked. And once again, we are traveling uh, around the globe. It is a globe and you travel around it. That's why it's called a globe. (laughs) And uh, we're back in Australia, different part of Australia. We're in the northern part, unless it's the opposite (laughs) because south of the equator. Uh, uh, Whatever. Josh Page, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. And yeah, just a new patron, but I got onto your podcast about three or four months ago and thought I'd uh, contribute mainly to to feature this band that I'm very passionate about, Big Heavy Stuff. Um, what was the uh, the episode that you discovered us on? I'm curious. Uh, I, think, I think I was just searching music podcasts and I was pleasantly surprised to see so many Australian bands that you guys had reviewed. So I think you're wearing a Super Jesus t-shirt from the look of it. No, this and, is a um, Super Drag. Oh, Super Drag. But, Part of my um, Super Drag t-shirt super line. Jesus. Yeah, I heard just yes. Super Jesus. Um, but Ammonia, um, The Welcome Mat, all these, you know, fairly obscure um, little Australian indie rock bands. And I was pretty, uh, pretty impressed and proud. So I thought I would add myself to that membership and, and get my favorite Australian band, Big Heavy Stuff, mentioned on here as well. So Yes. Yeah. Uh, tell us the, uh, tell the audience the album that you picked and when you first discovered the band. Yeah, well, I moved to Sydney from a little town called Grafton on the north coast of New South Wales. I moved to Sydney in 1994, at the end of 1994, I think it was. And so I immediately, I was only 17 then, I turned 18 the following year in 1995. So I started going out to the Sydney pub scene straight away. And I um, was living with my brother who liked music and he had seen Big Heavy Stuff a few times at various iconic Australian or Sydney local pubs like the Annandale and the Lansdowne and Hopeton Hotel. And um, I just immediately loved their live performance. That's what drew me into them. So probably 1995 is when I started seeing them and then saw them many, many, many times throughout the, the late 90s from then on in while I was at university. So when you're seeing them, are these at like small venues, like a couple yeah, of people? Yeah, probably. I don't know what the um, the capacity of, say, the Annandale Hotel, which is probably one of Sydney's most iconic pubs that used to have live music. I'm not sure if it still does because I'm long long moved from Sydney, but um, probably 300 to 500. Um, okay. They, they did get handpicked later in the late 90s or early 2000s by Radiohead to do the support to Radiohead's OK Computer Tour at the Sydney Entertainment Centre, which was like a 10,000, I think ten or 8,000 seat stadium. Um, but mainly their their gigs were headlining small pubs, 300, 500 people maximum, I would say. Gotcha. Okay. That's that's similar to what, you know, I think of a, there's a venue that used to be in Columbus called Little Brothers and it held about 400. And that's where you would see, you know, early on, you would see like At The Drive-In and Death Cab For yeah. Cutie and, and those yeah. bands when they were on their indie labels. 
yes. and, and doing those sorts of tours. So let me ask you, Jay, big, heavy stuff. Ever heard of them? I've never heard of them. No, no, me neither. I, you know, what's interesting is that they didn't come up in any discussion previously. Right. Um, which yeah, is weird. Some of the, some of the Australian bands we haven't heard, we at least heard the names in passing through these types of conversations where someone say, Oh, you got to check out this band or there's this band. And we did a whole Australia in the nineties episode. And so, yeah, this is the first I'd heard of them. Yeah. They used to, they used to play a lot with Pollyanna and blue bottle kiss, probably two other bands. I know you've reviewed. They're probably two yep. of my favorite Sydney bands at the time. And the, the lead singer, Greg, I know um, he produced, I think the first something for Kate, EP and I think you reviewed something for Kate as well. So yeah, they're very much in that scene, but I mm-hmm. think I'm some heroes in my my biased view. <laughs> uh do you know much history about the band? A little bit. I know they they Greg, the main singer-songwriter, um, had a band in Brisbane called the Ups and Downs that were pretty popular again at an indie level in the 80s, and they were sort of a sort of like a go-betweens who were pretty famous. I'm not sure if you've heard of the go-betweens. Mm-hmm. Um, they're more a late 80s sort of real um, pretty jangle guitar sort of pop music. And then he came down to Sydney, I believe, and then formed Big Heavy Stuff. And he did form it with his brother who was in the go- um, in the ups and downs, but then his brother left um, before, I think, Maximum Sincere. And then there was an EP before that called Birthday. And I think he left prior to even that EP called Birthday. And he got replaced by the drummer Nick, who, in my opinion, is just an awesome drummer uh, live, but also I think recorded as well. But again, that's from a just a music lover, not a musician. <laughs> and the record that we're talking about, this is actually so. This is their second record. First yep. one, Truck, came out on Volition Sony. Um, this one came out on the Hypnotized label, and then they had two after this in ninety or in two thousand one. Size of the Ocean came out on Redline Records. And then in 2004, Dear Friends and Enemies came out on uh, Redline Records. Yeah. The, this record was produced by a guy named David Trump, yeah. who, when I looked at his, he was re- it was recorded by him. It was not, they, he doesn't get a production credit. But when yeah. I looked at his production uh, or his, uh, his technical credits, it's a lot of the bands that we've talked about. Like you mentioned yeah. Pollyanna. Uh, he worked with the clouds, which has been in some polls. Something yep. for Kate, uh, Finney Scad. They're one of their EPs. Yep. Um, the Church, which everybody knows, the Church. Yeah. That's a they were a big band. UMI and uh, Blue Bottle Kiss. You know, a number of bands that we've talked about. Either. Yeah, he actually joined. He actually joined the band as a playing member around that Dear Friends and Enemies time as well. So he was actually a member of the band in the sort of early two thousands in a live sense. And I think he might have been on Dear Friends and Enemies like a, an actual band member. So gotcha. So the uh, lineup for this album, as you mentioned, um, Greg Atkinson vocals and guitar, um, Carolyn Polly on guitar. Uh, you mentioned the new drummer, Nick Kennedy. And then on bass is Elliot Fish. Yeah, that's sort of, and that was the, the main core outfit from the birthday EP just before this album, pretty much through for the rest of their time to, to Dear Friends and Enemies. And the, the label that they're on for this, it looks like it must have been a local label. It did not last very long. It was basically active from 
uh, the mid nineties, like 94 until about 2000. And there were some other bands that we know, like scream feeder put out records on this label. Um, I'm familiar with the band glide. They put out some records on this. And they're part of, it looks like I'm looking at my CD cover. It looks like they're part of shock records, which was, um, a bigger indie label in Sydney. So shock records was definitely. Okay. Yeah. So this so must on, have been there. Uh, I can see a shock logo above the hypnotized labels. <laughs> yeah. Shock goes back into the eighties with the birthday party. So this must have yeah. been a subsidiary label yeah. Yeah. Uh, for them. Okay. Yeah. They have a much wider array of, of bands, like no effects put out records in Australia on, on the shock label. Yeah, exactly. Um, let's get into some comments over from our Patreon page. We'll share the poll results at the end of the episode, see where people landed, if it was a worthy album, better EP or decent single. But right now we're just going to get into the comments. Uh, Kyle Bittner said, I had never heard of this band before and found it to be worthy of multiple listens over the last few days. The music is catchy, but it was the vocals that were the hook on this album with traces of failure and Harvey danger. I don't, you don't usually hear those two bands together. That's an interesting combo. Uh, the standout track for me was son in law, 100% worthy album. Uh, Stephen, Stephen, Stephen Musinski said, having never heard of this band until now, I'm completely taken by the immediacy of this record on first listen. It had me right out of the gate. And on the second pass, it felt like a record I've known for years. I can't exactly put my finger on what it is that works so well about this album, save from the incredibly competent vocal performance, but regardless, I'm quite smitten with it. Uh, it certainly isn't a isn't perfect however by the end i'm considerably fatigued for sure this could be stronger if cut down to the old tight 10 format but i would need a few more listens to figure out exactly which songs need to go something tells me it's somewhere in the last four tracks or so can't wait for the view review great pick josh uh willie dylan says despite the band's name this is a pretty good album (laughs) it fits right in with the other bands of the time without feeling like a ripoff where the album Richard Waterman, Aussies do it again. Nice rock album. It's 1997, but could be 1994. Great live drum sound. I got fantastic planet vibes from the production, engineering, and general sound of the album. The vocals even had a Ken Andrews element. I also heard a bit of ammonia and quicksand in the vocals. I agree with Steven with regard to the length. Ten songs would be brilliant. There are some earworm melodies and vocal phrasings that stick in the brain. What a most... What I like most about it is how meaty and heavy it gets, especially on the title track. I would cut May, Son-in-Law, and Not Another Riot. That makes it a tight 10. Then you have the three strongest tracks at 1, 5, and 10 to even it out nicely. Darren Lehman, Worthy Album. I think they pull off their own sound, yet still bring in a lot of influences from 90s alternative mosaic. The band shifts gears nicely from lighter alt-rock fare to pseudo-grunge stylings with ease. Jeff Gentis with the last comment. Reminds reminds most of Black Helicopters, in 2000s band, or if Dismemberment Plan was a first half of the 90s rock group. That's an interesting com- uh, comparison as well. Really solid, great new pick. Great new to me pick. Also, if you guys wanted to slowly work in the Australian flag into the DMO cover art, even if you never acknowledged doing so, that'd be cool with me. <laughs> <laughs> Jay, can you make that happen? It's crossed my mind a couple of times. <laughs> Might as well. They're funding the uh, the uh, artwork at this point, so we might as well. I have to, uh, before we get started, B- 
big heavy stuff. I did not know what to expect when I heard the name of that band. When I heard the name of the band, I was like, is this going to be like jokey or is, and then the album name is maximum sincere. I'm like, Oh, (laughs) is this like, they might be giants or, or some sort of like cake or, you know what I mean? Like I was, I was a little bit concerned that they were going to go the ironic route, but they're, they're not. These are, those are literal descriptions of what is, is happening on this, uh, on this record. So Jay, tell me one thing you liked about Maximum Sincere by Big Heavy Stuff. They hit a sweet spot. Some of the bands that were mentioned um, already that that those bands live in. I, the only way I can describe it is uh, maybe like it's it's like a post 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 hardcore. Like, <laughs> and the bands I'm thinking about are Failure which has a spacey element that this band doesn't have. But if you take like Kelly Scott's drumming and kind of the rhythm approach of that band and how they can live in tempos that are, um, you know, often on the slower side, but they carry an intensity and this like precision and sense of um, tension and dynamic but they stay within this typically like a slower to mid tempo kind of very like, um, steady kind of rhythm, but there's like a, somehow they're still able to create like a sense of momentum and propulsion, which is hard to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so when this band, like maximum sincere is a great example of that. There's just like this head nodding kind of like slow simmer build this really like punchy, competent drumming, um, and a vocal that, you know, can stay um, in a spoken space and be interesting, but also can all, you know, get more melodic and expressive and almost to a, you know, kind of a scream at times or yell um, to really get some emotion. So I was thinking of, as I was listening to this album, not only failure, but a band, a band like engine down, which yeah didn't come until like maybe 2000 um, rival schools was another band. So like, not, I, I hear the similar rival schools and quicksand are the same singer guitar player, but I think rival schools is a little more like um, they're less hardcore. They're more like the post 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 when you get to the point where it's like, you strip out some of the, those elements, you get rid of the proggy parts, you keep the intensity, that sort of like honest vocal approach lyrics. They are borderline, like either emo or like science fiction, maybe. Um, and 
you know, there's not a lot of bands in that space, but it's a sound that I like um, quite a bit. Um, so another one that popped in my head was even Shiner minus the like prog elements. Mm-hmm. You know, Shiner didn't play in weird time signatures and they were just a little bit more straightforward. Um, I could hear, you know, a lot of similarities with this band. So they're hitting like a space that for me, I like a lot sonically and just from an approach standpoint. Um, but not a lot of other bands. I mean, I really, I'm, I'm struggling to come up be, beyond like a handful of bands that are sort of in that, that space. Um, so when it's working, those are the types of things I'm hearing and there's an intensity to it and a heaviness without it being like overly distorted or um, kind of in your face, you know, there's a, it's there, but it's not like screaming at you, you know, there's a subtlety to it and like a, um, a heaviness in a different way, which is, which is kind of cool. I do hear some other bands and they do get into, um, even more melodic sounding that, you know, songs uh, where it's more about a song, you know, it's less about like playing and creating like a buildup and, um, less about performance and more about songwriting. And, And some of that material works as well for me too. Um, when they establish, you know, really good vocal or guitar melody early on, um, and then play with that, you know, through the song, uh, to, to be, you know, a little bit more traditional in that way. So yeah, to me, it's hitting a sweet spot that, um, not a whole lot of, a lot of bands that, a sweet spot for bands I like, but there's not a whole lot of bands that occupy that space. What about you, Tim? Yeah, I think you, you hit the nail on the head and I think our, a lot of our patrons did as well. I mean, this hits a sweet spot of that post-hardcore, uh, failure, shiner, life, life and times. Um, engine down was one that came to mind as well. Um, that also sort of touches musically, at least, um, emo, like early nineties emo, not the, not the stuff that we think of with like the, the more poppier end. Um, but there is a confidence that I really, really appreciate in the playing because they leave so much space in the playing and you can't do that if you're not a confident player. And I think the thing that really I responded to is, you know, they will, uh, they will have a verse. It's completely driven by vocal and drum with a little bit of like maybe a little bass line coming in and out or, or a little bit of like picked guitar lead. And like you're talking about, like it'll get big for the chorus, but it's not because they're stomping on a a distortion pedal. It's, it's a, it's a very, you know, it's some overdrive, but it's not huge. And you'll get these really big choruses. And his songwriting um, reminded me of a guy like Alan Epley, who doesn't necessarily write like a big hook, but knows how to build tension in the song so that when you get to the chorus, it's this huge release of a you know a pretty compact melody. You're not talking about like a, a power yeah. pop melody or something like that. It's it's pretty tight. But that's what that's what works in this sound, um, and the the recording is just great. I mean, the big room sound for the drums is just it 
works so well with this type of band. Um, I almost thought about like <laughs> messaging Kelly Scott and going, Hey man, I think I found your, your brother from another mother and this drummer because yeah. you, <laughs> that this was the first thing I thought of. I was like, wow, this sounds like Kelly's doing, uh, you know, secret work across the pond or, you know, across the world in, in 1997. This is the yeah. same year the fantastic planet comes out. Um, so it was just eerie hearing that same style, uh, and, and hearing so many bands that are, you know, our patrons connected it to that don't have huge, you know, fan bases, but there's definitely a, a, a style there that people respond to that you hear it in certain bands and it definitely connects, uh, in a way that, you know, a mainstream listener is not going to catch. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. This band would have fit in perfectly in mid '90s Kansas City, with that whole scene that was happening with Molly Maguire and Shiner and and Season to Risk and and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I definitely, I this whole record was just a, a cool listen uh, from front to back. So, Josh, what are what's what to you are the highlights of this record that you res- that you respond to? Yeah, for me, definitely the title track, Maximum Sincere. I just think that sort of sums the band up in, albeit seven minutes, um, but it's just the seven minutes that for me flies by and everything you guys just said about them, sort of that it might be a very simple bass and drum line, um, moves into a sort of a chorus, if you will, but it's still not particularly overly heavy, but it carries weight. Um and then they sort of break it down into another part near the end with that more melodic vocal and the lyric, and it just all sort of, for me, works. And I know here in Australia they sort of, with this album in particular, they did get a bit of criticism for it not being melodic enough. Um, and if you do go and listen to Size of the Ocean or, or uh, Dear Friends and Enemies, it, they definitely have, in my opinion, more of a pop element to them. So if you think of the track May, track three on the album, which I love, for me it's still more of a heavy heavier pop song some of their later albums probably more play in that space more so than Mm. um, some of the other tracks here so but i love may as as for example but i love the start of the album where it's really restrained with the song eric remains and with like a fridge hum in the background because the song's about um, a guy and and there's there's reference to the lyrics of the fridge so i just love how it starts quite restrained um, but then it moves into a real rocking song like The Train Stops Here. I mean, there's not, for me, the one comment I agreed with, um, I agreed with all the patrons' comments that I do think it probably, I love them, but I do think it might drag on at the end a little bit with the last three songs. Um, so I would probably agree that it could be maybe 11 or 12. Um, I probably wouldn't get it back to 10, but um, I just think it works. There's just, they're so unique. And you know, I used to call them sort of the intelligent man's rock band over here, but they, they um <laughs> They just rocked live. They were just, their rhythm section was amazing. And you talked about their musicianship. That certainly transferred in, in a live format. They were tight. They were just awesome. The songs didn't play exactly like they did on the album. They they mucked around with them a little bit to make them interesting, probably as much for themselves. Um, and I know they were sort of a band's band. Like I know Powderfinger, you've probably heard of Powderfinger, loved big, heavy stuff. Big Heavy Stuff supported Powderfinger a lot. Radiohead picked Big Heavy Stuff, as I said before. So they seem to be a musician's band rather than potentially a big fan's band. But the fans that like them, like them a lot, like me. You know, what's interesting is that 
you know, we made mostly American comparisons to what we hear. I was trying to think about other bands that we've talked about that are Australian bands, and I couldn't think of any that really sound uh. like this. I mean, <laughs> Recane kind of gets a little bit close, but not quite. Um, the Mark of Cain was sort of more on the helmet side. Yeah. So they I did have something some... Kate, yeah, that maybe. And that's maybe because he produced their first EP, but maybe that's why I think that, but still not not exactly. That's why I think they're so unique. Right. Like, you know, the train stops here, that riff, that dunna, 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 I that is such a early to mid-90s American emo riff. Yeah. That yeah. I, I can't even imagine. I don't even I've never even heard that riff played by by any other um australian band that we've covered yeah. uh so it was really like strange because for the at first i was like is this, is this band from australia or are they from like canada where where is this band from this doesn't seem mm. to make sense yeah. and uh if you hear the ups and downs his band prior they are jangle pop sort of very catchy pop stuff so i think that's the beauty he went into this territory but has a has the musicianship and understands the pop sensibility as well. But he just decided, particularly with the birthday EP and this album, to really go in that sort of, I'd say, heavier, not necessarily, like you say, not Mark of Cain heavy, not not military drumming heavy, but still just, I don't know, cool heavy is the way I would say. <laughs> yeah, well, like a song like Cheating on a Dead Wife, that almost has like a slint feel, like yes. how it's so slow and, and deliberate. You know, there's a thing where sometimes the drummer it, it'll be very quiet but then the drummer will throw in a big fill that just like mm. fills up the space and that to me like really sounds like post-rock math rock of of like a, a band like slint um where you get these like where the drums are almost the most important part of the song for the for the most part uh, yeah, it was well, really Nick, weird Nick to the hear that. Been in, he's been in so many other bands since and during Big Heavy Stuff. So he, the main, Wayne Connolly, who produced a lot of their albums, um, he was in the Welcome Map. Nick drummed in a band with him called Knievel, which is a great little Aussie indie rock band. He, the Him and Elliot still drum in a, a band now. Um, it's not called The Apartments. Greg was in a band called The Apartments with Elliot during this same time, Big Heavy Stuff. But... I'll have to look it up. I've only just found them on Spotify. Um, but um, something to do with voting, but I can't remember the name of the band. But And it's all sort of incestuous. So the the Greg's brother, Darren, who started Big Heavy Stuff with him, he then moved to a band called Atticus, the lead singer from Atticus, Nick and Elliot from Big Heavy Stuff, are now in a band that's just released an album last year. So, like, they still, that rhythm section still seems to 
go on. Another band called Todd Sparrow was basically the, the big heavy stuff rhythm section with David Trump in the band on guitar as well. So they're a band okay. to check it out. So, yeah. Uh, so, Jay, what didn't work for you on the record? There's a couple songs here and there that take um, a Voodoo Dolls one where I think they get noisier. And it's weird because instead of it becoming off like more um, adventurous, it actually reminded me more of something like Bush. It was, it was, you it know was what? Weird. Katie said that while I was listening. Like I had it on my speakers and she's like, is this Bush? I was like, yeah, no. So it was weird. <laughs> it was weird when they when they got less melodic in a song like that and sort of lost the that really like steady kind of um, heavy rhythm idea and got a little bit noisier. It it, it started to go in places that I, I didn't enjoy as much. Right. The end of the record gets gets slow uh there's just too many songs even though some of these songs are like i like cheating on a dead wife a lot um i think all for one has got a great guitar riff hook but even that song goes on a little long and doesn't really go anywhere and then Anne marie and not another riot might be fine enough but they just at that point in the record they they start slow they're quiet um they're just tough to get to get through um mm -hmm. and i think it's just by that point it's like i'm not sure where the record's going you know it's sort of like it feels like well these are some more songs we have yeah um, it just kind of peters out yeah um i do like when they take a turn like the song may i think that's a really cool little shift early in the record i should have known better I would like to hear another song like that towards the end to kind of pull me back in more towards the, you know, that simpler, straightforward, shorter pop sensibility that that song has is kind of a cool little twist. So mm -hmm. I prefer to hear it more. That song probably Big Mouth does that for me in the album. Like I think Big Mouth not being exactly the same as May, but it's just a shorter, catchy, still pretty rocking and heavy. True. I, yeah. I find Big Mouth sort of is that May song for me on the second half of the album. That one, um, it sounded so much like Nirvana to me that I, I couldn't get past that. <laughs> yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even though there's a section in there that doesn't sound like Nirvana with the cowboy bell in it, and I was like, okay, Nirvana would never do this part, but the whole rest of the other song, rest of the song, I was like, okay, this sounds like way too Nirvana-ish. <laughs> but yeah um yeah i think that just that the the way that the the record uh wraps up tracks nine through 12 13 or 
not that there's not good material in there. There's just, I lose interest. Um, I start, my patience starts to wane. I, I agree with you. I, I think the last two, I think the way it's organized is it doesn't help it. Um, and there's definitely, you mentioned big mouth. That's I think one of the weaker tracks along with, you know, Anne Marie and, and now they're right are fine songs, but they kind of replicate what they've already done. And so to end the record on them with 10 minutes of sort of like, we've already heard this, it, it doesn't really help. I think it would be, um, a much different record if this was 11 songs and rearranged a little bit because like, I think that there are moments where being slow and deliberate and like maximum sincere earns its seven minutes. That's I'm totally fine with that. But then you mentioned, um, voodoo dolly, mm. like, that's five minutes and it feels too long. Like that should, that should be a two and a half minute song yeah. or a three minute song, especially when you, when you are doing so well with those, uh, um, slow to mid tempo, you know, drum and bass driven songs that really build that you get this energetic up tempo song, but it doesn't, it doesn't need to hang around that long. Like that's just a, that should be just a palate cleanser and then get back into some of the stuff that is really solid on the record. So Josh, I know you said you probably would only cut one song. Uh, what is the no, one probably, song? I, I, no, I do agree. I think both Anne Marie and not another, right. I hundred percent agree. Like I'd be happy if, if they were cut and it was 11 songs. I, I obviously as an unabashed fan still, I love big mouth. I can, I can, definitely handle voodoo dolly and having experienced it live so many times um you know they put it it's a great live track so i would be more than happy just to take off Anne marie and not another right i think 11 tracks but you're right you could still maybe rearrange the tracks um but i think 11 tracks would be would be the sweet spot for me yeah because um then you get an ep with more material yeah <laughs> that's what happens if you uh <laughs> if you don't um and I think they did put out, I mean, I looked at their discography. They had quite a lot of singles and EPs. Yeah, around um, this time they did, yeah. And some really good yeah. songs as well. So. And and like, you know, I looked at, they had like a, a single for May, which had, I think, three songs yeah. not on the record. And um, Maximum yeah, I Sincere remember one, had, I remember one song called Please Don't Point That At Me, which I really enjoyed, one of their B-sides. So, yeah, I think they actually had stronger tracks, but they didn't necessarily need to have to put them on this album either. But, yeah, they could have moved them onto other releases. Yeah, Big Mouth had a had a four-song single with... Um, looks like they did a different version of uh, The Train Stops Here, and then there were yeah. two other songs not on the record. And... Yeah. Um, and then they had two other singles. So they had four singles for this. Two of them had extra material and two of them had live um, tracks. So, yeah. I mean, just in the extra material, if you were to trim two songs from this, you'd almost have another se second album. <laughs> exactly. You have like eight eight songs. So yeah. uh, that's, a, that's a lot of material for this, you know, for this era of the band that's that's i'd actually be interested in checking out some of those singles tracks and see how they compare to uh what they did 
Uh, what's interesting, I just noticed this when I was looking at the singles. They released a 7-inch called Birthday with the B-side White Flag in 1995. That was released on was DeSoto Jawbox. Records. Yeah. I think that had something to do with Jawbox as well. I was going to mention Jawbox, not necessarily in the sonically or the sound, but I do think they had something to do with Jawbox over in America. And that, I don't know if Jawbox were on DeSoto or not, but... Um, I think that was the only material they ever got released over there. DeSoto, of course, being the home of of, of Jawbox, Life and Times, uh, Dismemberment Plan, Channels, Burning Airlines. Lots yeah, of bands you. found their way there that we very much enjoy. Um, yeah, it doesn't see that. I don't see any like split singles or anything like that, but that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. It, it makes sense that they would have a connection to that scene. Yeah, we can. So here's the interesting thing. Well, I don't know if it's interesting. I think the frustrating thing, this was not released in the United States, even though they had a connection with DeSoto. In 97, this was only released in Australia. I feel like this could have, I don't know, maybe they didn't want to push it, but I feel like this could have done maybe not like a million, you know, copies, but like we mentioned, you know, there were bands like Shiner, like Jawbox that were had okay careers that they were touring and whatnot. I wonder if they could have released this and maybe sold like 50,000, 75,000 copies in the U.S. at this time. Because um, I don't know if they ever did they ever play the U.S.? Yeah, I don't think so. I, I honestly don't think they ever got over there. As I say, I think they really were a even in Australia, a band's band or a musician's band. And mm. they, for whatever reason, they didn't, they didn't um, get a huge following. But I know all those people that would have, in my opinion, liked Blue Bottle Kiss and Pollyanna, um, those bands would have been supporting Big Effie stuff to start, but then those bands probably got to a level that was, that was you know, more gotcha. popular than Big stuff. So something for Kate's a perfect example of that, where he produced their first EP, but within two albums, Something for Kate were a much bigger band than, than Big Heavy stuff. Interesting. Yeah, I could have totally seen this band as an opening act on like a U.S. tour with a Shiner or, you know, a a, a Discord band, even like a Discord yeah, band. I'm like check Gazi. Shiner out. I've never heard of Shiner, so I'm gonna have to check. I think out. you might like them. <laughs> <laughs> and the Life and Times, which is the band that got the lead singers band after Shiner. Um, yeah, because this this obviously didn't make it to college radio or anything like that. So here in the Excuse me, here in the United States. So, uh, Jay, you're fading into the darkness there. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about our overall ratings on this record. We'll get to our patrons' selections or our patrons' uh, votes, which, if you listen to their comments, you might have a, an idea of where their where their votes are going. This is this is one of those polls where you can actually tell where the poll is going to go based on the on the votes. Uh, but what, what would you vote, Jay? Were the album better EP or decent single? I would vote were the album. Uh, like you, we've talked about, if you like the bands that we've mentioned that we think these this band sounds like, um, there's not a ton of material out there. <laughs> so this is another cool band that you can go check out. Um, if you're into something like Edge and Down, who only made, I think, two or three records mm -hmm. you know this is a obvious 
or rival schools. This is an obvious band that you should be digging up. And now it's on streaming. It seems like a, a true hidden gem that a lot of people that are into those types of bands can, can go find. Um, so I'm going to wear the album there. There's a couple tracks that I could, you know, like you guys talked about earlier, we could drop and I would be fine with. Um, but you know, it's such a, um, specific yet unique sound. Um, it is, it's, it's more accessible to than I think some of the bands we talked about, like Shiner can be a little complex for some people. Um, but this would be a good, if you're into like more commercial, like silver chair or Bush, this is like also a place you could go. Like this band would make sense to you, but you know, be a little bit more, uh, you know, interesting lyrically probably and dynamically. So, um, I think it has a lot to offer for a lot of people. And, um, I enjoyed the sound from start to start to start to finish. I just, uh, some of the songs, I would say two or three of them were lacking, but, um, I still think it's a, a worthy album regardless. I agree with you. I think a little bit of trimming, but it's a worthy record. I think people who are, into um the bands that we mentioned are gonna love this just like our our patrons did i'm actually shocked that it's streaming in the united states i don't know how that ended up happening considering this was on a small label in australia and it was never actually released in the united states but yet here it is streaming and yeah. there are american bands that <laughs> because of their label situation don't have complete discographies in uh the united states but uh for spotify they have it looks like a cup, several albums available in the U.S. too. So, yeah, uh, pretty much everything that they released album-wise is available, and there are EPs and singles. Like I mentioned, the May uh, single, yeah. "The Cheating on a Dead Wife." Uh, there, those are you can stream those in the United Bur- States. Birthday single, "Devil's Tongue," two sisters. Yep, it doesn't yep. make sense. <laughs> but it's good <laughs> it's good yeah well it's the way it should be now we've talked about this a couple times but like geez like does it really cost anything to put this make this music available now um right it should be available for everybody to find i do find it interesting though that you know spotify does the fans also like section and it lists a bunch of bands that are similar they basically yeah. just have a bunch of australian bands it doesn't matter if they're similar or not like they have Super Jesus and Front End Loader and UMI, which and Blue Bottle Kiss, I would not necessarily say that these all sound like they they need better curation. Like they're just all from the same country. That's all that is. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm at a worthy album. Maybe 10 to 11 songs is where I would be on this. But I think it's really cool. and People should check it out. Uh Josh, I, I know it's, you're going to say we're the album, but just make you it do. official and say we're the album. Yes, we're the album. I do agree. <laughs> it could have two tracks off at 11 would be a good running time. But yeah, I think it's an awesome album and a real good representation of what the band um, was. And um, yeah, I think they deserved a lot more kudos, but I'm happy to give them a bit through this channel. Well, you'll be happy to know that the folks at Patreon agreed with all of us. They said 91% worthy album nine percent better ep so it's basically one person based on the number of votes voted for a better ep um i don't know who that was because everybody who commented i think said 
said we're the album. So, so uh, there you go. That might be one of the most overwhelming uh, better EPs, or I mean, uh, we're the albums we've ever had in uh, in this in this uh, polling situation. We've only been doing the polls on the reviews for you know maybe a year and a half or two years. So yeah, can't we don't know. We, maybe we can retroactively start doing polls on on records that we we reviewed years ago just to see how people <laughs> voted and we can start keeping track. Jay, can you do that? Can you create some sort of a AI that will build that for us? We don't, we don't even have uh, records of our early years when we started doing, I know it's the wild west. <laughs> when we started doing where the album better EP, we, we don't even have, have that. I don't know track. who came up with that or when we started doing it or we just, it just happened one day. Yeah. We really should be tracking it though. I yeah. Think. Well, Josh, thank you for spending some of your Sunday morning, our Saturday evening, uh, no with problem. us talking Thanks this record. Much. Appreciate and, your time. Uh, appreciate you listening to the album. I'm uh, glad you liked it. Well, we appreciate you bringing it to us and um, supporting the podcast. Uh, love having. I've got, couple, I've got a couple more hidden gems in twelve months' time for you. So. Nice. Well, we love. You know, this is exactly the kind of record that we love to pull out, and and we know nothing about it. Uh, it's from another country. And it absolutely hits a sweet spot. So, this is our uh, this is our um, our entire mission statement right here in this kind of episode. Yeah, good to hear. <laughs> so, not that we didn't enjoy talking about Guns and Roses uh, three hundred episodes ago, but, uh, <laughs> it's just a different vibe. Yeah, uh, I do want to remind folks uh, that if they would like. To participate in the polls over a Patreon, you can just go to dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. You can vote in polls for episodes like this in our once a month album selection polls where you can uh, pick a record that we're going to review from nine different submissions. And depending on the tier, you can also help us pick uh, roundtables and 80s episodes, which are exclusive to our Patreon community. You go to suggest a record at digmeoutpodcast.com. You think I'd know the the website address by now. Uh, It's also where you go to sign up for the Box newsletter, which is sent out every weekend uh, by the magic fingers of Jay, who puts it together after uh, some reviews are done of new 80s and 90s music books and movies. Haven't had a new uh, 80s or 90s related movie recently. Just did the Annie Zaleski book on Duran Duran's Rio, but we need to get some 80s or 90s relevant movies uh, into the hopper because those are fun uh, to watch. Maybe there's a doc coming up or something I'm, soon. I'm watching 1971 on Apple Plus, Apple TV Plus, but that's that obviously not. 19, not 80s or 90s. Yep. Sorry. Uh, there's the Sparks documentary coming out, and that, they, they were active in the 80s and 90s. And that's a band I know nothing about. Yep. So, but I, everybody always references them as being really interesting. So mm-hmm. maybe I'll learn something, Jay. Or you. Or both of us. <laughs> you learn something and then I'll read it. Okay. Uh, Box newsletter. You can subscribe at digmeoutpodcast.com. You can also read it at Patreon where it gets posted. And then uh, Apple Podcasts is where you go to leave some uh, positive uh, feedback if you enjoy the episodes and we sure hope you do uh we're we're moving up the charts in turkey and we want to uh, take over 
the Turkish uh, podcast universe. So help us do so if you're in Turkey or anywhere, actually. Uh, so for Jay, I'm Tim. We're out and we'll be I, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. <laughs>